Hello, this is Brother Jim Ellis. I want to welcome you to our Dispensational Ministries podcast. I was reading a verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 the other day, and I was reminded of some things that I have been enjoying and I have benefited from over the last 45 years. That's how long ago it was that I was saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, since that day, I couldn't claim to have always been faithful to the things of God and the Lord Jesus and not like I should have been. But no matter those things that I want to discuss in this podcast have always remained as mine in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were given to me by God and they have been kept by the faithfulness of God. You see, the past cannot be changed. It can only be forgiven. We can do something that God has determined in his will that he will not do in the life of a child of God. He has decided that once we are saved, that he will not be able to remember our sin. He has put our sin away, not only in forgiveness, but from his memory. But we do not, unfortunately, have that ability. When as a child of God, we get out of the will of God, the very first thing, of course, that we should do is get back into the will of God by repentance and forgiveness. Then, as best we can, need to forget not punish ourselves over our past sin. If we confess our sin, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you at some point in your life were honestly saved and born again in Jesus Christ, but maybe you got out of the will of God, got into some things you should not have, it's still a simple matter to come back into his personal will. As much as we wish we could sometimes do away with all that past life and past sin, we cannot. But in the Lord Jesus, we can and will be absolutely forgiven for past mistakes we've made, sins that we've committed. God is always faithful to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And as as a child of God, if we stumble and fall, get out of the will of God and receive forgiveness in Jesus Christ as far as our fellowship with him is concerned. And I think we need to take the advice of the Apostle Paul when he said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Regardless of anyone's past, our God is always faithful. He was always he has always been faithful to me and to, truly to any and all who are in Jesus Christ. I know he has kept because of his promises the spiritual blessings that he gave to me 45 years ago. He has kept those things as mine in the Lord Jesus Christ for these 45 years. Over the last 45 years, I've enjoyed from God, my creator, three very special and distinct spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
spiritual blessings which were never based or conditioned in my personal faithfulness to him, but in his personal promises to me in the word of God. These three spiritual blessings are possessed by every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the following verse, we'll learn about these three blessings that come to us at the very moment of our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And regardless of our faithfulness to Him at any time in our lives, these matters are never taken from us. That verse I mentioned earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, is verse 14 says, Paul was concluding, <coughs> concluding his epistle to the Corinthians, and he ended it this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. The word of, as it is used in many passages in the Bible, denotes or describes a possession or something that belongs to a particular person or a group of people, that it's something that is theirs. When in this verse God describes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's describing a grace that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is his grace that he gives or will give to all those who by faith believe and accept his gospel for eternal salvation. No one in and of themselves possesses this kind of saving grace. This grace must be given by the Lord Jesus Christ as a free gift to all those who accept his free gift of grace. Grace in the Bible is God giving us something that we do not deserve and something that we cannot acquire or attain on our own. A kind of well-known American politician said recently that we all worship the same God and thus we are all the children of God regardless of our faith. He was echoing the sentiment of many religious universalists in our current time. They believe that every religion offers a pathway to God regardless of what that religion teaches. But that's not the teaching of the Apostle Paul, and that's not what he left behind in his word. He said in Galatians 3.26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Yes, to some degree, and maybe in part, many religious men and women all worship the same God. But it is also true that many do not worship that same God in truth. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, a person cannot come to the one true God and make up their own truth in the worship of him. We must all worship and serve him according to his divine will and his revealed truth. Before the Apostle Paul was a believer in Jesus Christ, he was still a very religious man. Before that day in Acts chapter 9 that he became confronted face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ where the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in Christ's glory. 
Paul was a fervent believer and worshiper of the one true living God, as much so as any man. As a devout Jew under the law of Moses, he worshiped and served the God of heaven, but he was not doing so according to God's revealed truth. Even though Paul knew and openly admitted who the one true God was, and Paul dedicated his life to that one true God, he was not worshiping and serving him in truth. He thought he was. He was sincere in his beliefs. He was passionate, passionate and dedicated to those beliefs. Paul was an extremely religious man, maybe as much so as any man alive during his time. But he was, in fact, and in truth, not worshiping God according to God's revealed truth, even though he was sincere in his worship of the correct God. In other words, he was worshiping the right God, but in the wrong way and by the wrong content of faith and truth. The truth of God is that we are only the children of God when we accept and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith. And Jesus Christ imparts to us his grace as a free gift. Then and only then are we placed into the family of God and become the children of God in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died for our sins. Paul, in many passages, talks about worshiping God according to the truth of God. He told the Galatians in chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you shall not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth? He said, ask him again, am I therefore becoming your enemy because I tell you the truth? He asked him another question in chapter 5. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you? You that you should not obey the truth. He said in Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom after that ye believe ye was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. And he goes on many passages talking about believing and obtaining eternal life according to the truth of God. You see, my friend, it does very much matter what we believe as truth when it comes to salvation and eternal life. God has revealed a specific and direct content of truth that we must believe and he has required of all men and women to accept and believe for eternal salvation. To deny that specific content of truth is to reject the one true God himself. This is the truth that the one true and living God has revealed and requires all men and women everywhere to accept and believe for eternal salvation. The pre-existent God, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to earth, took on the form of a man, died on the cross to pay for the sin of every man and woman. He was buried, rose from the dead on the third day. He is alive now, seated in heaven, and he is offering eternal forgiveness to all men and women everywhere. 
And if we will accept and believe his truth, all of our sin will be forgiven. And we will immediately receive forgiveness and eternal life in Jesus Christ. His truth and grace is a specific block or specific content of truth that we must accept and believe before he will grant us his grace of eternal life. We must accept that, realizing and believing that we cannot receive forgiveness and eternal life by our own good works, religious efforts, or by any other means except by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ when he died to pay for our sins. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He said in Romans, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But God committed his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let me just give you in a few simple words what many people actually believe. They believe their life is going to be weighed on some kind of heavenly scale or balance. On the one side of the scale are their good works and their good deeds. And on the other scale are their not-so-good deeds or bad deeds. On that good scale, maybe they figure being a good person or a good parent or helping the poor or going to church and a whole host of good deeds. On the other side of the scale, they believe, are their bad deeds. Maybe they told some lies or they stole something or they cheated somehow. So according to them, all their bad deeds are on that side of the scale. They surmise if our good works and good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then we'll go to heaven. So they mistakenly believe we just have to do the best we can and hope it turns out okay. My friend, that is a foolish and a very unscriptural, unbiblical, and even dangerous belief. Salvation is a one-time event which comes to us when, in a one-time act of faith, we accept and believe His gospel. We then are given His grace to enjoy and benefit from throughout eternity. Let me point your attention to the second element uh, that we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 13. We read about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the second thing he says in that, and the love of God. If the religious modernist version of the universal love of God is correct, then this passage would be completely out of order. If they are correct that the love of God would come before the grace of Jesus Christ. But here, as it is always in the Bible, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ comes before the love of God. The modernist version of the love of God teaches that God loves everyone unconditionally, and he has already decided to accept us regardless of who we are or what we do. This modernistic doctrine goes along with what we discussed above concerning the false universal pathway to God and all religions. It is kind of a universal redemption or universal reconciliation of all men and women everywhere. In their doctrines, there's no need for individual salvation. We are all the children of God and he loves us all unconditionally. 
But what this religious doctrine fails to take into consideration are the two aspects in the scriptures concerning the love of God. They fail to see and realize the difference between his general love for all of his creation and his personal and direct love for those who have been placed by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.39 says, Nor death, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's general love has been given of all of mankind. He most certainly loves every person of every race, creed, nationality, culture, earthly, natural origin. And he loves every person regardless of who or what they are. There's no denying that. But that is the general love of God. The general love of God is a sentiment and meaning of what is often recorded in John 3.16. For God loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That passage communicates to all of mankind the general love of God where he gave his son for all men and women everywhere. But he also has a specific and direct love, which he gives to all those who are in Jesus Christ. That direct love is a distinct and separate love from his general love for all those who are not in Jesus Christ. The specific love of God grants many special and specific spiritual matters, the spiritual blessings to those who are in Jesus Christ that are not given or afforded to those who are not in Jesus Christ. Those who are by grace through faith in Jesus Christ are given by God some special spiritual blessings, such as eternal life. They have an eternal hope of heaven when they die. They've been granted forgiveness of sin and declared justified before God. They are free from the wrath and judgment of God for their sin. They receive the adoption of children. They are deemed to be the children of God and members of his direct family. They are placed into the body of Christ. He becomes their Abba Father. Abba Father. I'll explain this special and distinct relationship in a moment. They become the children of light. They are recipients of the direct and personal love of God. They are blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. They are regenerated into new creatures in Christ Jesus. They become spiritually alive and able to fellowship with God. They become joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything God the Father has given to Jesus Christ, those who are in Jesus Christ become co-sharers of those things. Now that describes, and just in part really, all those who are recipients of the grace of God and therefore recipients of the direct, personal, specific love of God. But those who are not in Jesus Christ and those who only share in the general love of God have none of those things. They are still dead in their trespasses and sin. They are in spiritual darkness. Their sins have not been forgiven. God is not their Abba Father. 
They are not justified before God. They are not the distinct children of God, and they are not in his special and specific family. They are not in the body of Christ. They are not in Jesus Christ. They are still under the judgment and condemnation of God. Their eternal home is not heaven. Their eternal home would be eternal darkness. According to the Apostle Paul, they are without God in this world, and they have no hope. Yes, God loves them. And he has shown his love to them in John 3.16 by giving his only begotten son to die for their sin. He has expressed his love to them by universally offering them the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through repentance and faith in his son and in the finished work of his son on the cross of Calvary where he died for our sins. The specific and direct love of God only comes to anyone after they have been partakers of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by way of the free gift of eternal salvation. He becomes the unique and personal Abba Father of all those who by grace through faith are in Jesus Christ. The term Abba is spelled A-B-B-A, Father, is only used three times in the Bible. Once it is used to describe the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. The other two times it is used to describe the relationship between those who are in Jesus Christ by way of salvation and adoption in God himself. In the book of Mark chapter 14, the Lord Jesus is praying just before he's taken prisoner and led to the cross of Calvary. And Jesus went forward a little, or the the verse actually says, and he, which would be speaking about Jesus, went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father. In other words, he was directing his earnest prayers to his Abba Father. That same term is applied to us, and I say us, I mean those who are saved by faith, who've experienced the new birth that's in Jesus Christ. Twice in the Bible, in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians, that term Abba Father has been given to us. He said in Romans 8, 15, for ye have not received the, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 4 says, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That same personal and distinct relationship Jesus Christ had and has with God the Father in his position as God the Son has been applied to all of us who by grace through faith are in Jesus Christ. Once again, all of mankind is loved by God, their creator, but they are not in possession 
of the direct, distinct, and personal love of God that is only in Jesus Christ. That personal love is only given to those who have been given the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that grace is only given when a man or woman or a child repents, accepts the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and by faith believes and trusts the death of Jesus Christ as payment for their sin. The final phrase that Paul used in that verse we read earlier in 2 Corinthians, he said, number one, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the third and final thing was the communion of the Holy Ghost. That word communion is not a word that describes verbal communication. It's not an audible voice, an audible sound. The word, the communion, as it's used in communion of the Holy Ghost, is translated in other portions of the Bible as communicate, in the sense of giving to others in charity, not a verbal communion or communication. It is translated contribution and distribution, as in giving something to someone else. It is translated the communication of faith as in a person sharing the content of his faith with others so that others may become partakers of their faith in Jesus Christ. What that verse or that phrase in the verse we've been speaking of signifies is all that the Spirit of God has done for us in blessing us with all spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. It signifies the Spirit of God giving or transferring to us all that we have and all that we possess in Jesus Christ. It is the work of the communion or the giving and sharing of the Holy Spirit of God that gives us all the spiritual blessings that we spoke about above. Things like adoption, redemption, justification, salvation, the eternal hope of heaven, regeneration. All these and many, many more spiritual blessings come to us by the work of Jesus Christ and through the administration of the Spirit of God who applies those to us. That word is never used as a verbal communication. As I said, just always in the sense of communicating in the sense of doing something, giving something, sharing something with somebody else. All the spiritual blessings we have in Jesus Christ are applied to us. They're given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit of God at the moment we place our faith in the Holy, I mean, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God gives us that. Every member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, contributes to some portion of our eternal salvation. God the Father purposed it and planted it in eternity past. God the Son came personally and purchased and paid for our eternal salvation. God the Spirit provides and places it into our account. He regenerates us into new creatures. He indwells us. He seals us until the day of redemption. He places us into Jesus Christ and the body of Christ. He applies the adoption of sons to us and all the spiritual blessings we receive by grace through faith are administered to us by the Holy Spirit of God. Once we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, 
We then receive the distinct love of God and the Holy Spirit of God applies and ministers all the spiritual blessings of God to us. People often speak to, they try to categorize people and put them in categories or types. But in the truth of the Bible, in the eyes of God, there are really only two people, two kinds of people or two categories of people, really. Those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ and members of his distinct family and those who are not. That's the only distinction God makes between people in all the world of mankind. That's the only distinction. A person cannot get into Christ and be given the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ by the religion or religious works or good deeds. It does not come to anyone by way of religion or water baptism or religious membership into a certain church or religious organization. It is not based in anyone's personal goodness or righteousness, who they are, who they're not, or what they do or what they do not do or what their lifestyle is. It does not come when one reforms and becomes a better, more religious person. Salvation, eternal life, being in Jesus Christ is a one-time event that is only given when we accept by faith that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sin and we admit before God that we are helpless to do anything about our sin. We cannot work our way in heaven. We cannot be good enough to earn our way to heaven. We cannot give enough money or do enough good deeds or love our fellow men enough to receive forgiveness of sin in eternal life. His grace comes to us when we admit to him that Jesus Christ died to pay for our sins and his death and resurrection is our only source and hope of forgiveness of eternal life. Once we admit that to God and accept his free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, we then are instantly forgiven of all sin and placed into the Lord Jesus Christ for all time and eternity. Salvation is not a process. It is a one-time event of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of our sin. Allow me to use an example out of my personal life as kind of an illustration of what I'm trying to say about salvation and the difference of just being religious. I was raised in the Baptist faith as a young man. Years ago in certain Baptist churches, those folks believed that there, were, there was such a thing as what they called an age of accountability. And they deemed that age of accountability was 12 years old. In other words, they believed until a child reached the age of 12, he or she was not responsible for their sin and did not need to be saved. Now, let me say this. There is no age of accountability in the Bible. As soon as a child becomes old enough or mature enough to understand their need of salvation and forgiveness of sin, that is the time they need to be saved, regardless of what that age is, whether it's five, six, seven, eight, whatever. There is no age of accountability. Nowhere is that said in the Bible. My mother was a godly lady and a good Baptist. Everybody that 
knew my mama, loved my mama. She was a good woman. But she, as I said, was a good Baptist. She told me around about the time that I turned 12 that I needed to go forward in the church Sunday morning. In the Baptist church at the end of the services, they gave invitations where people would come down the aisle and make professions of faith or join the church or whatever. She told me I need to do that because I had reached the age of accountability. That next Sunday, we were all in church. My mama told me that morning to go down front at the invitation. Well, I'd kind of determined that I'd, I'd, I'd be too embarrassed to do that. And I, maybe I just wasn't going to do that. But the preacher preached and they gave the invitation and time came. And my mama gave me that, boy, you better do what I say kind of look. So I went down. Went down front. They greeted me and hugged my neck, filled out a little card, recognized me to the congregation, told me to come back that night and be baptized in something that my mama made sure we did. But sadly, no one ever took the Bible and explained to me the things from the Bible that I have attempted to explain in this message. The fact that I was a sinner and that Jesus Christ died and paid for my sins and no one explained how I could be forgiven and eternally saved if I by faith accepted His free gift of salvation. Well, as a consequence, I was not saved that morning when I was 12 years old. Now, I could have been. If someone down there had taken the Bible and explained those things to me, they knew it, but they didn't explain it to me. The only real thing that happened to me that day was I became a church member, got soaking wet in the baptismal pool, and left that night as dead in my sins as an East Texas roadkill. Well, fast forward the clock about 10 years. I was a grown man. I had been through the military service during a, a war. And I had just gotten out and was just going about living my life. One day, another Baptist preacher started coming by my home and inviting me to church. Now, I, I didn't have any interest in going to church or really God or Jesus or any, much anything religious. As far as I was concerned, those days were behind me. As far as I was concerned, I was just fine, and my life was going pretty good. Got out of the army, had a good job, was living. But that preacher kept on coming and knocking on my door to the place that I just dreaded sometimes Saturday morning because I knew he'd be there. Well, finally, I agreed to come to church on Sunday. If he'd just leave me alone. So I did that next Sunday. But something was different in that church. I heard the Word of God preached that morning in a way that I had never heard it growing up as a child. I heard it preached in power and fervent authority of the Word of God. Now, I didn't get saved that morning. I went home and ate my lunch. But I paced around the house Boy, I was thinking some awful bad things about that preacher. I mean, well, who does he think he is telling me I'm a sinner? 
Well, I'm just as good as any of those old hypocrites down at that church house. Who do they think they are telling me I might go to hell if I don't get saved? I paced around and thought about it and thought about it. And for some reason that I can never explain, I went back to church that night. <laughs> Once again, I heard the word of God preached in power. When that invitation was given, I walked, I walked down that aisle and received the eternal salvation and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. When I walked out of that church that night, different than when I was 12, I walked out that night. I knew that I knew my sins were forgiven. I had the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I knew my new home was an eternal home in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did I know that? I didn't know it because I had some emotional experience. I did not. I knew it because they showed me in the Word of God about the integrity and promises of God where He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's never been a person who prayed, confessed Jesus Christ to God the Father that ever got missed in heaven. No prayer that's ever been prayed for salvation has ever gone unheard in heaven. And I give this personal testimony as a way to emphasize how vital it is to anyone's eternal life that we trust the right content of our faith for eternal salvation. Church membership will not get it done. Good works or religious works and loving your fellow man, none of that will get it done. Being baptized in some baptismal pool or a lake or a creek, none of that will get it done. Only faith in the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ will provide you with the eternal life and forgiveness of sin that is absolutely necessary to enter the portals of God's heaven. If you're still not 100% clear on how to have eternal life, allow me to encourage you to listen to our podcast message contained on this site concerning how to have eternal life. God bless you. My fervent hope and prayer is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all.